Well, it turns out that Thanksgiving is really good for your health. And when I say that, I'm not talking about turkey and stuffing and certainly not talking about an overindulgence in pies like many of us did the last few days. But I'm talking about the spirit and the practice of Thanksgiving. Robert, uh, professor and researcher Robert Emmons puts it this way. He says, clinical trials indicate that the practice of gratitude can have dramatic and la lasting effects in a person's life. He says it can lower blood pressure, improve immune function, and facilitate more efficient sleep. One study, he says, from the University of California, San Diego, found that people who were more grateful actually had better heart health, specifically less inflammation and healthier heart rhythms. They showed a better well-being, a less depressed mood, less fatigue, and they slept better. Gratitude has the opposite effect of stress. A study found that gratitude can boost the immune system. Stressed-out law students who characterized themselves as being optimistic actually had more disease-fighting cells in their bodies. Another study, people who kept a gratitude journal have a reduced dietary fat intake as much as 25% lower. Stress hormones like cortisol are 23% lower in grateful people, and having a daily gratitude practice could actually reduce the effects of aging to the brain. So gratitude has beneficial effects, but I think gratitude is sometimes difficult for us to cultivate in our hearts, to truly be grateful for the things that God has given us. You know, we just finished Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is focused on gratitude and being thankful for the things that God gives us. But sometimes after Thanksgiving, we end up a little bit more dissatisfied than we were before Thanksgiving. Johnny Carson put it cynically uh, a number of years ago. He said, Thanksgiving is an emotional holiday. People travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year, and then they discover once a year is way too often. I don't think gratitude is natural. They've done studies where they take kids and so they found that it's hardest to get children to say thank you than it is to say hello or goodbye or other phrases. It's not something that comes natural. It's not something that's easy for us. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I found three reasons. There might be more, but I see at least three reasons. The first is an entitlement mindset. I was struck a number of years ago, I went on a missions trip to Dominican Republic, and there were a number of people there who were very poor, didn't have shoes, uh, or didn't have very good shoes, and so me and my dad contacted the Crocs company, and they donated generously 1,200 pairs of Crocs, and these Crocs were kind of misfits and, and, and stuff like that. They weren't perfect, but you know, most of them were very usable. And so I could almost see the joy on people's faces, and I imagine the highlight of the trip being giving out these shoes when we got down there. But it wasn't quite so joyful. We found that people complained about the shoes. They, some people returned the shoes complaining that there was something wrong with this or that shoe. We had people trying to go, jump over the fence and steal more than one pair. We had one lady who uh, we had to forcibly remove who, because she was so angry. We didn't know what she was angry about. We didn't understand Spanish, but she was very angry, and we had to forcibly remove her. And you think about, think about that, and you think about these people who you know, don't have shoes or have you know, very poor shoes, 
you think they'd be grateful to have these shoes. But it was this entitlement mindset that these people are coming and they're giving us something, so I'm entitled to these shoes, and I'm entitled to more than one pair. That's a heart of ingratitude when we experience blessings, and then we kind of expect that those blessings would come in the future. Conan O'Brien, a few years ago on The Tonight Show, or Late Show, uh, had uh, Louis G.K. as a guest, and this, at this time, the internet was just kind of starting out, and Louis C.K. described how he went on this flight, and it was one of the first flights in the United States to have Wi-Fi on board. Really exciting time. And so he's sitting there next to another person who is using his phone or computer or whatnot with the internet, and then after a little while, the internet went out, and he started swearing and, and just throwing a fit that the Wi-Fi had gone out on this flight. Louis C.K. said this, how quickly the world owes him something that he didn't know existed 10 seconds ago. It's a new technology, something you wouldn't ever expect on a flight up to that point, but as soon as he experienced it and then he lost it, he felt like he was being gypped out. He felt like he was missing out on something. That's the heart of ingratitude. Some call it entitlement, that the world owes me this or that. It's especially prevalent among millennials, my generation. They did a study of millennials. They found that 40% of millennials believe that they should be promoted every two years despite their job performance. Despite what they do, whether they slack off or work hard, despite what they do, they feel that they need to be promoted every two years. And it's not just millennials, I think it's infected a lot of our culture and all of us to one degree or another. So that's the first reason that we sometimes have a hard time being grateful, having a heart of thanksgiving. The second is that when we're grateful, we can't take the credit. Think about what you're saying when you express gratitude. You thank God for the job that you have, you thank him for providing for you financially, you thank him for your family, and in essence, you're giving him the credit if you do that. In essence, you're saying it's, it wasn't because of my ingenuity or even my hard work that I've achieved these things. It's because of God's grace and God's favor. But sometimes we'd rather have it be the result of our own works, that I earned this, I deserve this. And it's hard to sometimes be grateful because if we're grateful, if we're truly thankful, that means we can't take the credit. The credit belongs to God. So that's the second reason. The third reason is that we focus on the negatives rather than on the positives. We focus on the negatives rather than on the positive. We th focus on the things that we don't like in our lives rather than the blessings that God gives us. Or sometimes maybe we even take the things that are good in life and we kind of give them a negative slant and we find the negatives about even the good things that God gives gives us. So those are the three reasons why gratitude, I think, is difficult. It's an entitlement mindset. If we're grateful, we can't take the credit and that we look at things with a negative viewpoint. But I'd like to look with you for just a couple minutes at this passage in Psalm 95, and I think we see two things in this passage, kind of 
two foundational truths, things that we can be thankful for, regardless of what our circumstances are, regardless of what we experience in this life. These are two foundational things that we can be thankful for and grateful to God. The first thing we see in this passage is that we can be grateful for the power of the creator God. We can be grateful for the power of the creator God. The text tells us, for the Lord is a great God and great king above all gods. The God that we serve is the king of all kings. He's the king of all authorities and powers and rulers. There is no one and there's nothing that's outside of his control. The text tells us in his, depth, in his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his, for he made it, for his hands formed the dry ground. Now in ancient religions, there were, there were a number of different gods. And there would often be different gods for different areas of the earth. There might be a god of the sea, a god of the mountain, a god of love, a god of fertility, a god of all these different things. But the psalmist declares here that the god that we serve is the god of all those things. The god who made the heavens, the god who made the earth, the god who made the mountains, the god who made the sea, which the ancients considered to be kind of the fountain of chaos. He's the one who created that and governs that by the word of his power. See, also in the ancient world, you think about the fact that he governs and created the highest heavens and the lowest valleys and the seas. And to the ancients, that was kind of the ends of the earth. You know, the, the world wasn't conquered and known like it is today. People didn't know what was beyond the world that they saw. I mean, you get to a point where people would travel and they'd never return. I mean, they didn't know what was out there. They didn't know what lurked in the depths of the sea. And so there was this great unknown. And yet the psalmist declares that God governs all of this, that he created all of this. For us, I think something similar would be the, how we conceive of space. Space is something that's unknown. We don't know how far it goes. We don't know what's out there. None of us have been there. It's just there. And yet even that, God created by the word of his power. Consider this quote from the NASA website. It says, Our solar system consists of our star, the sun, and everything bound to it by gravity. The planets Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, dwarf planets such as Pluto, dozens of moons and millions of asteroids, comets, meteoroids. Beyond our solar system, there are more planets than stars in the sky. So far, we've discovered thousands of planetary systems orbiting other stars in the Milky Way, with more planets being found all the time. Most of the hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy are thought to have planets of their own, and the Milky Way is but one of perhaps 100 billion galaxies in the universe. I mean, that's the best guess that uh, scientists have, is that there's 100 billion galaxies plus in our universe. I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around 100 billion. I have trouble wrapping my mind around 1 billion, and these are solar system galaxies. It's incredible the depth of the universe that God created, but he spoke that universe into existence. But remember, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. Remember what it was like in the beginning. Have you ever had someone who kind of grew up very poor? Maybe they grew up in the Depression era, and they had to work really hard to get to a place where they 
can provide for themselves and then they're so grateful for the things that they have. I think sometimes it's helpful to realize where we've been to know and be grateful for what God has done. Think about the creation. Maybe it would help to close your eyes or just think about it. Think about how it was at the beginning. Verse Genesis 1-2 says, The earth was out, without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. All that was there was darkness. There was nothing there but darkness and water. Then what does God do? Imagine God says, let there be light, and there was light. He says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. He said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. Imagine, as he says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them, the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. Imagine, as he says, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Imagine, as he says, let the earth bring forth living creatures and all the animals that we know today according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Imagine, as he says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and he forms out of the dust man and woman. All that we have, all that we know comes from the hand of God. All the joys that we experience in this life, the beauty of a sunset, the glory of a mighty mountain, the beauty of a fresh snowfall, or the glisten of some ice. All the beauty that we know, all the intricacy and beauty and complexity of the human body, all this was created by God and for God. And so it's right to praise him, the psalmist says. It's right to come to him with a joyful sound to rejoice with thanksgiving because he is the powerful creator God and there is no one like him. So that's the first reason we have to be thankful because we serve a powerful creator God. A God who has no rival and no equal who can handle anything that we face in our lives. The second reason we have to be thankful is that we have been rescued by the power of the God who recreates We've been rescued by the power of the God who recreates. The psalmist tells us, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. When God is referred to as rock, which is quite often in the Old Testament, it often refers to God as the divine warrior, the one who fights on behalf of his people, the one who defeats the enemies of God's people. Look at what it says in 2 Samuel 22. The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, David says, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. This warrior God is acting in history to make us his own. Verse seven, it says, for he is our God and, the, and we are the people of his pasture. For the ancient Israelites, this, their story was they were delivered from the land of Egypt. They were in the land of slavery under oppression. And God rescued them by a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And he formed them into a new people. He gave them the law. Eventually brought them into the promised land. And so he made them his own and he rescued them from slavery. The same is true for us. All of us 
are sinners by nature and by choice. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought sin into the world, and after they brought sin into the world, there was this slow decay and the slow hint towards death. We see right after they sin, we see that they, for the first time, realize that they're naked and they have shame. We see shortly after that that there's the first murder that happens as Cain murders Abel. And from there, we see that the trajectory of humanity goes downhill apart from the purposes that God intended for us. And we know that that eventually leads to the final point of death, not just physical death, but separation from God, spiritual death in a place the Bible calls hell. We don't talk about hell very often. Honestly, even as a pastor, I don't like to talk about hell. It's something you know, we like to put out of our minds, but it's something that Jesus warned about. Now, people think about hell, and they think, well, what is hell going to be like? You know, people have different conceptions, and sometimes we have this conception of, you know, Satan there with a pitchfork and a lake of fire. And you you think to yourself, is that how hell is going to be? Well, I don't know. I don't know how hell is going to be. I don't want to find out what hell is going to be like. And whether Jesus was using figurative language or whether he was being completely literal in how he described hell, it's clear that it's a place of horror. He wanted to communicate it's the worst possible place that you could ever be. I mean, you think about just the, all the blessings that God gives us on this earth, the things that we enjoy. We think about the presence that he offers us. And you think about all that taken away and the horror of experiencing life completely apart from God. It's a frightening thing. But God didn't want us to go there. He didn't want that to be our end, and so he sent Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came and lived a sinless life, who became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And he died on the cross in our place so that we might have a relationship with God. But we were all headed for the grave. We were all headed for hell. Sometimes that's hard for us to realize, especially if we grew up in a Christian home, if we consider ourselves to be decent people, but that's where we were headed. But God came in and he rescued us and he put our feet upon the rock and he saved us by his grace. He did that to recreate us so that we would have a relationship with with him now and that we might live with him forever and ever in a new heaven and new earth. That's something that we can always be thankful for. That can, that's something that we can always hold on to no matter what, how much is in our bank account, no matter what's happening with our job situation, no matter what is happening with our relationships, we can always hold on to that. That's something that's eternal. Thanksgiving flows from the heart that believes in the power of God and experience the resurrection, salvation of God. Thanksgiving flows from the heart that believes in the power of God and has experienced the salvation of God. When we get those two things, when we understand the power of God, we've experienced the salvation of God, it causes us to be thankful. But we see in this passage that there is a warning and there's always a tension. There's always a battle between what we know about God, what we've experienced about God to be true, and what we're experiencing currently. And in this passage of Psalm 95, the author warns us not to harden our hearts as they harden their hearts at Massa and Meribah. Remember that story? After God 
had uh, delivered the Israelites from Egypt. He had brought the plagues upon the Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians, and he led them by a cloud and a pillar of fire. He crossed, the, he opened up the Red Sea, and they went through on dry ground. And then when the Pharaoh and his chariots went through, God closed the sea and defeated their enemies. And then after they get out from there, God uh, causes manna to come down from heaven and provides for their needs. But then they start to get thirsty. And they, rather than calling out to God and praying to him, they start to grumble. They start to harden their hearts. And they say to Moses and Aaron, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. When you think about this, God has demonstrated his power in such incredible ways and he had provided for them every step of the way. And rather than calling out to him, they say, we'd rather go back to slavery. It was better back in Egypt. And the thing is, God allowed them to have their wish. He gave them water, but he didn't allow them to enter into his rest. He didn't allow them to enter into the promised land. He caused them to wander for 40 years until that whole generation had passed away. Living lives of futility, just wandering around, one might say, lives of slavery. Because that's what they wanted. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and God said, okay, you can live a life of futility. and You won't enter into the promised land, into the place of rest. I think the same thing is true for us. If we don't want to live in freedom, if we want to just go our own way, God will allow us to do that. But if that's the case, we won't enter into his rest. We won't get to enter into heaven. And if there's anybody here who hasn't made a decision to follow after Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, don't leave today without talking to me or Pastor Phil or Patrick about how to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we believe in the power of God. We know that God is powerful. We've experienced his power. We've experienced his salvation. But sometimes it's hard when the rubber meets the road, when we face the difficulties of life, to truly be thankful. I mean, you think about when things are good, it's easy to be thankful. You can have a person who doesn't know the Lord isn't a Christian, and as soon as something really good happens to them, like they, lit, they win the lottery, it's like they're running around praising God, the God that they didn't even believe existed. But when your bank account's empty, when you lose a loved one, when you're dealing with mental illness, it's not so easy sometimes to praise God. It's not so easy to be thankful. And in those moments, we have a decision. Are we going to harden our hearts like they did at Massa and Maribel? And we're going to say, God doesn't care about me. I should just do life on my own. So we turn to bitterness, complaining about our circumstances. Or should we turn to God? Be thankful for the things that we do have. Thankful for his salvation. Thankful for his power. That if he allows us to go through something, we don't know why. But we know that if he allows us to go through something, he must have a good reason. Do we trust in that or do we harden our hearts? Will we be thankful even in the most difficult circumstance? It's a man named Sean Aker. He's a professor at Harvard. And he says that training our brains 
uh, to become more grateful can start with just spending five minutes a day practicing Thanksgiving. And he cited studies, uh, or a study, where participants were asked to write down three things that they were thankful for for five minutes uh, at the same point in each day for uh, at least a week. And so these things that they wrote down could be anything. The only thing is they had to be specific. So you couldn't say, I'm thankful for my family or I'm thankful for uh, the things I have. It had to be specific. For example, someone might say, I was, I'm thankful for the Thai food that I had last night or I'm thankful that my daughter came and gave me a hug yesterday or I'm thankful that my boss complimented me on my work. So they had to be specific things, and what they found was that these things had remarkable effects on how people viewed the world. They found that after uh, just one month, even people who had only done this for one week, after one month, they found that they were happier and less depressed. After three months, they found that people who had been part of this experiment had been more joyful and content. Even after six months, they were still happier, less anxious, and less depressed. And they only spent one week practicing Thanksgiving, and yet it had effects for six months. And the researchers hypothesized that the simple practice of writing down three Thanksgivings a day over the course of a week primed the participants' mind to search for the good in their lives. What if we did that? I mean, we could do it for the practical blessings that God gives us, but we could also do that for the things that God, uh, who God is for us. What if we thank God each day for his power? What if we thank God each day for rescuing us, for saving us for an eternity separated from him? What if we looked for the blessings in our life that maybe we gloss over? What if we looked for the answers to prayer that we've prayed for, and then we're not even looking for the answers that God gives us? What if we resolve to be thankful in the good and the bad? What kind of impact would that leave? Retired U.S. Marine Corps General Charles Krulik tells a story of the first time that he experienced someone who was a true believer in Jesus. And it was the first time he experienced someone who had a heart of thanksgiving. He tells the story this way. 35 years ago, I was a young second lieutenant, ju just graduated from the Naval Academy. Married 14 days after I graduated, my wife and I went down to Quantico, Virginia, home of the basic school where officers learn about honor, courage, and commitment. At that time in my life, I thought I was a cross between John Wayne and Tom Cruise. Because I was married, I shared a room with another ma married officer named John Listerman. John was a wonderful human. He exuded goodness. I, if I asked him for his arm, he would have said, where do you want me to cut it off? At the wrist, the elbow? John was a Christian. That meant nothing to me other than, gee, what a nice guy. I guess this Christian stuff may, must be pretty good. Upon graduating from basic school, John and I went to Camp Pendleton, California, where we joined the same battalion preparing to go to Vietnam. And I saw another side of John Listerman. He was a tremendous leader, aggressive and technically proficient. People loved him. He was committed to his troops. His troops were committed to him. He was a Marine's Marine. He says, on a December morning in 1965, John and I went to war. 
John Listerman's war lasted only one day. He says, we were on a patrol moving down a trail through the jungle. We came around a corner in that trail and we ran into an ambush. John took the first round, a 50 caliber round, right in his kneecap. As his kneecap burst, the crack was so loud, it sounded like a mortar exploding. It threw him up in the air. As he was dropping, the second round hit him right below the heart and exited out his side. I was wounded also, but nowhere near as badly. I saw John about 30 meters away on his back, his leg blown off. I crawled up to him and I wanted to say, are you okay, can I do anything? But before I could do that, he turned his head towards me and he said, how are you doing, Tucker? Are you okay? I said, yes, John, I'm okay. He said, are my men safe? I said, John, your people are okay. At that point, he turned his head and looked to the sky, and he repeated over and over, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for caring for my people. Thank you for caring for me. He says, I was dumbfounded. And Krulik went, later went on to receive Jesus Christ. That's a heart of thanksgiving. Even in the most difficult, terrible circumstances, he was thankful for the way God cared for him. Thanksgiving flows from the heart that believes in the power of God and has experienced the resurrection, salvation of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your power that you're the God who created the highest mountains and the lowest valleys, that you spoke the entire universe, 100 billion plus galaxies we don't even know, but you spoke those things into existence by the word of your power. God, we thank you that you are so powerful that you can handle the things that we experience in our life. We thank you also for saving us, from rescuing us from an eternity separated from you. They're bringing us from a place of, free, of slavery to a place of freedom. From a place of sadness to a place of joy. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Lord, as we live our lives, I pray that as we experience difficulty, we, that we wouldn't harden our hearts, that we wouldn't turn to bitterness, but that we would turn to you, trusting in your power and grateful for your salvation. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We look forward to all you're going to do. In Christ's name I pray, amen.